Welcome to How to Live Podcast with Dr. Chip Dodd, a series to help us see who we are made to be so we can do what we are made to do. Hello, welcome to How to Live Podcast Uncut. Today's podcast is going to reach a conclusion and sort of like a weaving that at the end of it, we're going to see a tapestry and uh, be able to, I think, learn from it, gain from it. And that tapestry will sort of point us towards a continuation of what we've learned. This podcast today is about the power of words and how words and the training related to them can send us off in a direction that takes us away from how we're created and who we're created to be. In fact, it takes us away from whose we're created to be and then what we're really made to do. Words can make us end up living or even even surviving our whole lives, mistaking our work, our output for our essential worth, mistaking our work for our worth, and can make us mistake our performing or our performance for the value of the true self. And words do that, and the faces that speak them and the hearts from which they communicate. But I want you to, to today I want to talk about how far removed the words that we believe we think or we think we know the meaning of, how far removed they are from how we're actually created. And if uh, if I could, this is sort of like the point of the whole thing, and I want this to be understood by the time we get to the end of this podcast. I was working with a father yesterday from another state, and he was talking about his son. And basically, we came to the conclusion that his son owes him nothing. His son's about uh, 18 at this point, and yet his son owes himself everything. And I want us to see that by the time we get to the end of this uh podcast, that that sentence makes a great deal of sense and that that actually his his son owes himself everything ends up being a great gratitude and a great responsibility. So let's start with, we're going to go through several words and uh, begin to look at how we've been pulled away from the essential meanings and being pulled away from the essential meanings actually leads us to not trust love to be suspicious of its offering and it's it being uh, truly given and freely offered. It makes us be suspicious of, of gifts we've received because we assume that they are debts to be owed. We end up missing a lot of the lives we can have because we become watchful rather than seeing. We become observant and hypervigilant rather than trusting and wide open to the possibilities of good. So let's start with uh, the the phrase we've heard much of our lives called taking love for granted. And I want us to look at it from a context. Everything that's going to follow is going to be from a context of this. Most of us have heard much of our lives that's water under the bridge. And we walk across that bridge over and over and over, assuming that there's some kind of great deal of wisdom that's spoken in it to the point that we don't even ask questions about it. We just sort of do as we are told and we act as if what we've been told something that's factual or remarkable when reality is that's water under the bridge any five-year-old is going to be more curious than we become that's water under the bridge we're told if we think about it means 
Forget about it. It is what it is. Don't worry about it. The past is the past. You can't do anything about your life. Just walk across, leave it behind, forget about it. None of those things that we humans are actually capable of truly doing. And any five-year-old is going to go across the bridge or hear those kinds of comments who still has has a, a voice of the heart. And just like children say, when are we going to get there? How much longer? How come it had to rain? Uh, where did the sun go? Uh, when's the wind going to stop? Is it going to be a tornado? Uh, is When is mommy coming home? When is daddy coming home? Are they coming back? They're asking these things uh, all the time. And yet when we get wise and we get older, we become tainted by life to the point that we don't even listen to how we're created anymore. So the water under the bridge is a good question. Where does it go? Well, it turns out the more we find out about how we're created, the water goes downstream, downriver for a mile or so, turns right and collects in a reservoir of unfinished business. But we're trained to no longer pay attention as if we're cult members in this cult that says, if you question what's underneath the words, then somehow you will no longer belong and matter. If you step away from your work and ask, are you worth more than what you do? If you step off of the performance stage and look around and say, is there anyone here who can receive my true self? Somehow we we do work and perform as a way to answer the question, am I loved? And the answer we get back is, I'm only loved if. But let's listen to how these words work. The, the Actually, the phrase take for granted is what we're actually made to do with love. That children are actually born, birth, expecting to be able to take love for granted. And what a gift it is to be able to take love for granted. It, it says that... Um, that this is free for you to receive, to fill you up so you can grow into who you're made to be and then go do what you're made to do. But much of my life, I thought that for me to take uh, anything for granted was somehow an expression of my own ingratitude or callousness towards something or someone. And even I became um, resolved in that belief to believe that if anybody showed ingratitude or callousness towards me, that somehow they were taking my love for granted, and that was a bad thing. I didn't know that to be able to take love for granted was one of the characteristics of true love, that it's an expression, it is a free gift. I didn't know that assuming confidence in love meant that I could simply live in the confidence that that love was as uh, dependable as a sunrise or a sunset, and that it was as strong as fire, uh, stronger than fire or flood, um, that it would last longer. Uh, the word granted even, the granted, taking for granted, the word granted comes from a Latin word. It means credere, it's spoken credere, which C-R-E-D-E-R-E, an active word. And it means to give trust, that the credere, to grant, grant someone, we're granting them trust or we're having trust for something or someone. We're offering this, like you can take this and trust it. It means to believe in such a way as to entrust one's goods or one's health or or, um, one's heart to another, to hand it over. It's a form of security that you can depend upon this without second guessing or doubting or controlling, thinking you have to control it. You don't have to worry about it, obsess over it. 
or pay for it. You can wake up in the morning and it will be there. I, I will be there. Love will be there. I will not become disappointed in you. Disappointment literally means, talk about words, disappointment is a word that needs to never be spoken to a child or, or to a, a loved one unless they are officially, unless this person's officially being banished. Because disappointment means to no longer have an appointment. As if you come up to this place where you made a reservation by birth and you walk up to get in and the maitre d' looks at the list and and uh, goes over and said, what's your name? And you give your name and they look at the list and go, nope, you don't have an appointment. Nope, you can't come in. Nope, your name isn't on the list. So I think many of us come from places in which we learned that taking love for granted was cavalier, thoughtless, selfish, or even dangerous. But quite the opposite of it being negative, in actuality, taking love for granted is an affirmation to the person who loves us. It says, I entrust myself to you, knowing full well that you can be trusted. I can take you for granted. And I know I did it poorly. I wish I'd done it better, for sure. And love always has little tinctures of, uh, of regret in it. But I remember uh, Sonia and I talked a lot when, when our children were younger that I want them to take my love for granted, which is the long haul. I want them to know that I'm not going anywhere, that I'm going to be here, that there's nothing they can do to make me turn my face away uh, from a pursuit of them. And I, and I know I did it poorly, but I still was focused on that, that being a form of life for me. But so much of our lives can be consumed by the fear of so many multitudes of things, uh, group, uh, groups of marriages, jobs, and so on, that we have few relationships in which we can take love for granted. And uh, what a gift, though, for a child to be able to take love for granted in a parent or for a marital partner to be able to assume such confidence or, or for a friend to simply trust that the other person's going to be present. To take love for granted, ironically, leaves so much room for gratitude. It doesn't lead to callousness. Oh, it may for a while until we wake up to how different the world is from us being able to take love for granted. We look about the world and we see people who uh, are enslaved by performance, enslaved by work, and they're certain that if they don't do the work, they will be disappointed. They will no longer have a place. We look about that world and we can compare it to the world that we've received. And that's where the gratitude comes from in comparison that we wake up to the difference as life, as we experience life. So ironically, it leaves so much room for gratitude and, and gratitude in a world of rejection to know that there are those few whose love we can take for granted. It awakens us to the beauty ultimately of the mundane, the daily life living as if something terrible won't happen. It lets us begin to see what G.K. Chesterton said, that, that already what he meant when he said that God's sunrise and sunset is, is a daily encore of love. Uh, we can take God's daily encore for granted and, and how magnificent it, it is when we see the grandeur of what we can assume is present all the time, that I can wake up in the morning and know that the sun will come up. I don't concentrate on the anxiety and the negative. I don't uh, spend time worrying about whether or not it's going to happen. 
I don't spend time thinking that I can do something to make it happen. I awaken and there it is. I, I awaken and there it is. It's It leaves room for gratitude because there was no worry. There was no a, a, a control issue. There was no hypervigilance. It was there. Sunrise, sunset. And if love is more powerful than a fire, love is more powerful than a flood and can be assumed to be as true and consistent as a sunrise and a sunset, taking love for granted leads to gratitude. So that's just one of the phrases, but let's look at some other things. We hope that you are benefiting from this podcast. If you are interested in more material from Dr. Dodd, please go to chipdodd.com or Sage Hill Podcasts. Thank you for listening. We now return to the rest of the podcast. We've been taught to believe some things that aren't so. When, when you hear the word behave, for example, behave, we automatically assume it means to act in a certain way or else there will be some form of, of action taken against you. But the truth is that behave does not mean act in a certain way, perform in a certain way, and work in a certain way or else. The word behave means to have be. It means to have your being. It actually means to have possession of how you're created, take the risk of expressing that, and uh, assume that you will be valued for your true self and raised in your true self to become who you're made to be. So behave doesn't mean what we've been trained to believe. Now, stay with this because it leads us to, to an end result. For another word is the word obey. The word obey, we're told, it means you know to pay attention to authority and follow those rules. And again, like the word behave or else. But go, go to the dictionary and look up the word obey. It doesn't mean to do right. It comes from, its etymology is rooted in a word that means to listen. So listen, it means to listen and then act according to what you've heard for your benefit. But it starts with listening. And guys, we can't listen to someone who isn't truthful. Now we can fake it, we can act, but we can't really receive the words to our benefit, for our benefit, for our future, unless they're speaking words that matter to our hearts. And just like I did the podcast of the day about words matter, the heart is literally created to receive words that feed and to reject words that don't. The words that don't feed become poison and what they have to be uh, removed through healing. So the word obey means to listen. So behave means to have your being. Obey means to listen. And then take the word authority. It turns out that there are two kinds of authority. There's healthy authority and unhealthy authority. Healthy authority desires your good. Author, authorship, unhealthy authority seek, simply seeks power over you. It's like a thumb down on you your, you as a, a tiny little creature, like a thumb, a, a knife against the throat almost. And so because we've mistaken for authority, mistaken the true meaning of authority for power over, we get the meaning of the word obey mistaken and the word behave mistaken so that we're pulled away from our hearts. And then if we start to associate God as a power over to only there to watch 
and bring consequences, then guess what? You cannot truly bring your heart to this God or the heart to that parent or the heart to that friend or the heart to uh, an, an employer even. In other words, you don't bring your imagination, the truth of you, your creativity, your compassion. You don't bring your empathy. You don't bring your hunger to submit in service to something greater than yourself. Now, healthy authority desires are good, and it comes from the word author. Authority comes from author, someone who has words. And so this is how it works. If I hear words that I know are for my good and and desire my good, and they're spoken so that I can have, then I will listen to those words and take action according to what I've heard will benefit my heart. And I will be willing to trust that even pain is part of the process for my benefit to get to where I'm made to go, to have my being, to have who I'm, I'm made to be. So think about what it does for relationship to, to uh, see authority in its healthiest way as a desire for my good, what it does in all relationships. All relationships have authority in them, a marital relationship, a parent-child relationship, uh, the God, the beauty of the God-human relationship. And if the word author bringing words of life to me that I can listen to and ponder and eat that make me strong, then I will rise and act accordingly towards what those words can do for me. I will behave in a, in a fashion that ends up being, you know, what, what God says in, in, in Micah 6, 8. What does God require of you to seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. It's like, well, of course, I hunger to listen to words that matter to me that are going to give me the life that I'm created to have. Now, look at look at how this gets twisted up, and I'll, I'll close in, in just a moment. We start singing a song in the end of October, the 1st of November, and almost every major singing star uh Talent has has recorded this album for their Christmas album, whether it's country or rap or pop or whatever. And it's Santa Claus is coming to town. But look how far away we've gotten removed from our hearts because we sing this song to children and listen to the words. It's full of threat. It's full of disappointment. It's full of you better work for your worth. You better perform and put your true present true presence to sleep somewhere. You need to get rid of yourself and get with the program. Now, and and so so far, we'll sing it to our children, we'll sing it to ourselves, and we'll smile about it. Almost like you see two parents in a car turning with their heads back to the children, and they're all bobbing their heads like a um, Christmas vacation movie with Chevy Chase in it. The, even the first stanza of Santa Claus is Coming to Town talks about you better not pout and you better not cry. And then it goes on to say, I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to explain this to your frontal lobe so you can have your frontal lobe threaten your limbic system or threaten your heart to shut your mouth. And that's the first stanza. The second stanza goes on to say he's making a list and he's checking it twice. He's searching to see who's been naughty or nice. So this, you're on a grading system. You're being ranked all the time. You're being subordinated based upon your perfection. Naughty is what he's looking for to check it off. And nice is is simply assumed to be something that you're going to do because you don't want to die. What do you mean death? Well, look what's next. 
He knows when you're awake. He knows when you're asleep. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. It's, I have a master's degree in English. It's the only time you're going to see bad and good transposed because we speak good and bad. We don't say bad and good. The song is concentrating on threat. Not only threat, but this person, this thing, this creature can go through walls, make himself little bitty and come down your chimney and go into your children's rooms and watch them when they're sleeping, do anything he wants to to them. He knows when you're asleep. He knows when you're awake. He's omniscient and omnipotent. And he's looking for who's been bad or good, even in your sleep. And then at the end of it, it says, be good for goodness sake. In English language, in old English, for goodness sake is a euphemistic way of saying for the sake of God. So he knows when you're awake. He knows when you're asleep. He knows if you've been bad or good. So for the sake of God, better be good or else you will lose the very thing you're created to have, connection with the people you're created to take for granted. So just I'm, I'm asking, suggesting that we spend some time listening to our hearts, paying attention to how we're created, and know that what you've received from your parents and what parents you have given to your children, your children owe you nothing but they owe themselves everything. I owe my parents nothing, but I owe myself everything. And by owing ourselves everything, what that means is that we're created to turn back towards facing how we're made. You and I are created as emotional and spiritual creatures created to do one thing in this life and it's live fully. But we can't live fully unless we're doing so in relationship, telling the truth about ourselves, known by other people, and in relationship with God. So you and I are created of a certain way. So by, by, by owing ourselves everything, we face how we're made. We face who we're made to be. We face whose we're made to be, which means we live fully in relationship as people of who we're made to be, people of empathy, capable of recognizing ourselves and others, people of compassion, recognize pain and have a hunger and wish to do something about it, we're people of creativity, which means we see problems and we see obstacles and struggles. And we ask ourselves, what can be done about this? And what can we do to slow down, stop or prevent tragedy? We're made to fight back against the darkness. And then finally, service to others. So to uh, owe someone nothing but to expect everything for myself is to become a person of empathy, compassion, creativity and of service to others. And if our hearts are silenced by words being twisted to mean something they don't, then what's amazing is it goes all the way to the core of creation because we'll silence what God himself wants for us to give us words we can listen to, that we can take from his uh, uh, word, his ex experiences, his care for us, translate them into our beings and have our beings we're made to have and then go do what we're made to do. So let us give love in such a way that others can take it for granted and let us deal with how we rob ourselves and others by not doing so. Let us hear the word obey differently, behave differently. Let us see authority differently because there is authority that wants power over us and there is an authority that desires our good. So let us take the risk of trusting that again. And then finally, Listen to that song because that's one pebble in the bucket that takes us away from how we're created.
So let's feel our feelings, tell the truth, and give it to the process. That's not sin. That's actually expression of creation and and also faith in the God who made us and taking the risk of trusting that love is discovered through true confession of how we're created, what we need, and what we hunger to offer. So I'll stop there, and God bless, and I hope you have a good rest of the day. Bye.